Kevin Mondro here, Coach Dro, D-R-O. Welcome back to the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast, the podcast where we advocate coaches and help young coaches learn from the coaches telling these stories. Before we get to today's incredible young coach, I wanted to share one thing that I read recently on social media. It is from John Gordon, quote, your path is your path. Don't compare it to others. Everyone's timeline, obstacles, and triumphs are different. Just keep looking forward. End quote. Excellent advice from John Gordon. My two cents would be simply that we celebrate other successes and attempt to check any envy and jealousy at the door when it comes to comparing your career timeline to others. Just trust me from my own personal experience. Today, we are talking to Coach John Spruance. Coach John is currently an assistant coach for Coach Stan Gerard at the University of Southern Indiana. John is in year two with Coach Stan at Southern Indiana. During his first season at Southern Indiana, Coach John helped Coach Stan reach the NCAA tournament. Before Southern Indiana, Coach John spent two additional seasons with Coach Stan at the University of Indianapolis. Coach John also spent five seasons with Coach Scott Trost at Lewis University as a volunteer assistant and assistant coach. John's experience as an assistant coach at the D2 level is simply outstanding. I am excited to share John's story. He is the first Division II assistant coach that I've had the opportunity to speak with on the podcast. Prior to his arrival at Lewis, Coach John spent a season at the University of Hawaii and also was an assistant coach at Holland High School in Holland, Michigan. John graduated from Hope College in 2010, where he played basketball. If you are a young assistant, you're going to hear the passion that Coach John has for the industry, the loyalty he has for Coach Stan, and his own personal quest to make an impact with the players he coaches. I am super excited to share his story. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform that you are currently listening. Remember, we are everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and so much more. Please keep telling your coaching friends about this podcast. The bigger audience we can create, the bigger impact we can make with younger coaches. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram at Tell Me Your Story Coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Drow. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondro. Enough of Coach Drow. Let's get to Coach John Spruance and tell his story story real quick before coach john's story i need to tell you about my affiliate partner that i've been supporting since episode one that friend desmond ferguson the owner of moneyball sportswear check out moneyballsportswear.com let me tell you about the gear that moneyball produces men's women's boys and girls sports attire get all your winter gear asap truly what are you waiting for and if you are a high school and or AAU coach and you need a new set of uniforms, please reach out to Moneyball. The uniforms that Desmond and his team create are simply spectacular. Go to MoneyballSportswear.com. Shop away. Enter the promo code DRO, D-R-O, in the coupon checkout. Grow with us. Moneyball, the only way to ball. One quick note, after the recording of this podcast, the University of Southern Indiana has voted to make the jump to Division I program. I guess our first Division II assistant coach is soon to be a Division I assistant coach. Congrats to Coach Stan, Coach John, and the rest of the Southern Indiana basketball program. John, why do you coach? You know, Kevin, I think really it all started like basketball was one of the only things that I was ever really good at. 
kind of at a young age. You know, growing up in downtown Chicago in the time that I did, obviously growing up, I thought it was going to be Michael Jordan, and that that ship quickly quickly sailed. But definitely had a, a extreme you know passion and love for the game of basketball from from a really young age, and knew that. You know, I wasn't really blessed with the total opportunity probably to go overseas and make money and, and do that and knew that I wanted to stay in the game, you know, and coaching kind of presented its way to, you know, to stay in the game and stay involved. And I think when I first started, I think that's really what it was, right? Like I, I wanted to be involved with basketball. I wanted to be in the gym with kids and helping them get better and, and doing this stuff. You know, I'm so old school. Like I used to watch like the Pistol Pete ball handling video on VHS just to be a student of the game. And, and I think that's kind of how it started. And it's really evolved as I've kind of gone through my coaching all the years and all the stops of it's so much more. The passion is still there. The competitive nature is still there. But, you know, us having a chance to impact young men's lives, you know, in, in your case, young women's lives, as far as being a mentor to them and, and using basketball as a tool to, to make them better prepared for the real world, I think is, is the coolest thing and, and providing kids an opportunity to be at a college. Some of the kids that, that we recruit, you know, wouldn't have that, that opportunity to do that if it wasn't for basketball. And I think when you sit in a parent's living room and, and you do that recruiting pitch and you tell that parent that you're going to look after their kid and, and make sure that they're on track to graduate and stuff. And you see that, that kid four years down the line and he's walking across the stage and then four years after that, they're inviting you to their wedding. And that to me is what it's all about. And it's, it's become a lot more relationable or like about relationships than it is, you know, selfishly about my own passion. Isn't it crazy when you think about coaching that great coaches can, some of them are great players and some aren't. Yeah. I mean, I think, and that's why I think it's so interesting about this profession and, and why I think that this podcast is, is so great because I don't think that there's any, any two stories have been the same as, as you've been going through this and talking to all these coaches and, you know, I'm an avid listener and nobody has the same story. Nobody has the same background. Nobody has the same way that they did it. Right. But it's about a shared passion of obviously the game of basketball and a shared passion about the betterment of young men, student athletes and the relationships that you can build with them. And I think everybody, everybody has it a different way. Right. And I think, yeah, sometimes when I'm trying to relate to my players, it's, it's easy for them to say, well, you know, you didn't play. It's like, okay, like you're right. Like I didn't, and that's always going to be a knock against me. You know, I was fortunate enough to go to Hope College and, and play there for two years. And we were really good when I was there, but my path led me to a different thing. And, you know, I think that's probably the biggest thing of a, a life lesson that, that you tell a young man is you got to adapt, you know, and I think it's the, the money ball for right adapt or die and mm -hmm. everybody has a plan for their life when they're they're going through it and they're in high school and they're like oh this is what i'm gonna do right or they go to college i'm a major in this and life decides to throw you <laughs> throw you in a different direction and you know it's kind of it's kind of how you handle that and how you get back up on your feet and pack the next obstacle and i think that's what makes people successful can you talk to me what it's like working for coach stan i mean he's he's awesome it's been funny because i've had three jobs i've had two bosses well i guess you count hawaii but mm -hmm. i've had three, you know, assistant coaching jobs. They've all been in the GLBC. I've only had two bosses. And, you know, when I was with Trost at, at Lewis, you know, watching Stan's programs and, you know, he had Jordan Lloyd, who also was in the NBA. And you just kind of admired how hard he got his guys to work. And he definitely had the talent. He could get anybody he wanted. He was, a, he was an amazing recruiter. They would get transfers. And I think the biggest thing for Stan is that Stan is a, is a seller. He's a closer because Stan was an amazing player in his own right when he played
played for Bruce, you know, many years ago at, at Southern Indiana. But I think the biggest thing, what makes Stan go is he's an extremely loyal guy. You know, if, if you bust your butt for him, he's going to trust you. He's going to trust your voice. You know, so I think it was a pretty easy transition for me, mostly because I was familiar with the GOVC. I had known Stan kind of from afar, but you know, he's a down to earth guy. He's a fiery competitor when we're in the, you know, the heat of the battle, you know, but he's a family man, you know, his family's down here and I bring my son to hang out with his daughter and, and we do things like that and function. So he's big on relationships. He's big on relationships with his players, his staff. He's a guy that, that cares. But for me, it's, it's been great. And he's a great guy and fortunate enough to, to be working for him and obviously followed him down here and, you know, expecting great things from, from both of us. You're in a tremendous Division Two basketball league. You've been at three different places now. You know, before coming to Southern Indiana with Coach Stan, you were with him at Indianapolis. But just want to circle back to Coach Stan. I mean, eight NCAA appearances, seven at Indianapolis. Last year, one with Southern Indiana. Why do you think Coach wins? I think it is the relationships he has with guys. I think what I've learned through the years, Dro, is that guys who have amazing relationships with their players, those guys come back, right? Those guys are back on campus. Those guys are back, you know, seeing what the new, you know, incoming class is going to be, seeing what the, what the next great team is going to be in. You go through Stan's pedigree of players, right? So Jordan Lloyd graduated, I think, in 16, ended up playing overseas, ended up getting a, a G League contract with the Raptors. He ends up getting a two-way, and he's he's the man in the suit, right? When Kawhi hits a shot at, at Philadelphia, Jordan Lloyd is the guy in, in his suit jacket, you know, bent over down on the floor. And, and Jordan was great. He was the offensive MVP of the G League. At the same time, Stan's former player, Darius Adams, was the Chinese Basketball Association MVP that year. He had games of like 68, which is, you know, it's probably not the most competitive league, but it's probably the second most popular league. Lance Stevenson was over there. Amari, uh, Amari Stoudemire was over there. You know, and then David Logan, who when David played, led the NCAA at, of all levels in scoring. He was on like his 17th or 16th professional season, and he won an MVP in, in Italy. And you have all these great guys, and all they're doing is when they're back in the state, they're on our campus. Mm. They're sitting in Stan's office. You know, Stan pledged to David Logan when David David had a chance to go play professionally overseas that whenever he came back, he'd be able to get his degree. And that's not something that is taken lightly. And that's not something that a ton of coaches would do. But when David was done and David had some time, Stan honored that commitment to him. So I think it's things like that of Stan. He's just amazing with relationships. And I think that's how you get guys to play at the level that he gets them to play at is that they have to know that you care first and foremost, because if you want them to play hard and you want them to fulfill your vision for how a program should be, yeah, there's going to be accountability. There's going to be some tough times that are that are going to be had in, in practice. And, but I think when those guys know that he cares and he loves them and, and he would do anything for them, that's how you start to develop a program. That's how you start to get wins along the way. He's recruited and gotten some really, really good players that were really, really good at the Division II level. And he's had a great balance of D1 transfers and doing it with four-year guys. But I think his biggest thing is when a parent looks at him and he tells that parent that he's going to look after their kid for the next four years, it's a very genuine statement when it, when it comes from him. Yeah, really looking forward to meeting Coach one day. Now, you mentioned relationships. Give me just a couple examples, small examples. How does he develop these relationships, especially for young coaches? And it's something that I really struggled with. You know, I was just get back to my office and get on to the next scout or the next duty or so forth. Like, what are some simple ways that Coach builds relationships with his kids? I think, obviously, like having the open door policy where you can have, hey, man, when it, whatever time of the day it is, whatever you need, you know, stop by the office, you know, like, let's just, let's just have a, a little check in here and there, you know, and 
What I learned from Stan working for him in the first year was that when those guys didn't walk the hallway, right, because at, at University of Indianapolis, the hallway kind of the main entrance is here. You have to walk through the hallway to get to the gym or you can go down the stairs, go around, go through our practice facility down by the training room. You have to take a much longer walk. Mm-hmm. And usually the guys that took that much longer walk were feeling a certain type of way, right? Maybe they didn't play as much the night before, right? Or, or we were on them in practice and all that stuff. And I think the biggest thing is, is we did breakfast club, right? So we would go, especially with the freshmen, that early kind of transition period, end of August into, into September. We were eating with the freshmen every morning on camp, right? Just checking in, you know, Hey man, how's everything going? How's class? How's your family? Right? Like just simple little conversations that, that could be had. We help every kid who comes into our program. We're there when they move in, right? We are, we are on campus. We are unloading trucks. We are unloading cars. We are helping them set up their dorm rooms, their apartments, whatever whatever we can do. The parents are coming and they see us right there and they say, okay, my son is going to be taken care of because all of these guys are out here doing that for my son in that moment. And I think the other thing is finding time to be relation or having a relationship with your student athletes away from basketball and having nothing to do with basketball. So when we were at University of Indianapolis, we, we would go to Top Golf, right? Or, or we would go do some go-karts or, or we would, we'd be on, we'd be on the road in, in St. Louis and we're going to go watch a movie right. and just have nothing to do with basketball besides spending time with, with that family take it even another step further and you know being with these kids I think Nate coach Oates said it probably the best on his podcast with you is he said you got to go see them on their turf Mm -hmm. you know kids will be more open when they're feeling more comfortable more safe more secure right maybe not sitting in a coach's chair in a coach's office maybe they're a little freaked out by that go to their dorms have conversations with them go and and sit in the cafeteria go get lunch with them and, and just do these things you know that are a little bit more outside the box and then I think the other biggest thing that Stan does is we'll have team events and and dinners and whatever, right? There's a big game on TV. We're over in Stan's basement, right? And his wife is there and his daughter is there and because that's part of our family too, you know? And I think having those guys feel welcome at all times and into his house, into his circle is is really big for developing that relationship. Time for a quick 30-second timeout. Coach John, getting this podcast to you is all because of my friends at Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed at all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and so many more. You also get a great looking podcast website. They provide audio players that you can drop into other websites. They give detailed analytics to see how people are listening. To start your own podcast, follow the link in my show notes. Let Buzzsprout know that I sent you. You'll get a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. And this also helps support my show. Buzzsprout, the easiest way to start a podcast. Really cool answers. You know, you mentioned Coach played for Bruce Pearl. And, you know, obviously Coach Pearl is number one team in the country when we record this podcast. Possibly no stopping them right now. But Coach Stan played for Bruce at Southern Indiana. Indiana. Does Coach ever share with you any good Bruce Pearl stories? There's too many to count, bro. We were fortunate enough to go down there for an exhibition game this year. Great. But even, you know, like obviously everybody knows who Bruce Pearl is. So I'm at the Under Armour Circuit. I think we're in Atlanta. And Stan is, is talking to Bruce. And Stan goes, hey, I don't think you've ever met my assistant, Coach Spruance. And Bruce turns and looks at me. He goes, hi, Bruce Pearl. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like Coach, I, I know who you are. And he goes, he goes, only half the stories are true. 
So, you know, we, we can, we can, we can take it for what it is, but I mean, he has an amazing, and even, you know, when I got to, to be more interactive with him when we were down there for, you know, that, that preseason exhibition game, he just has a way of, of relating to you and making you feel like he's known you for, for years and his impact on the community, his impact on USI as a whole. I mean, we still have, we had, we had like 300 people come down to that game just because it was Bruce Pearl. Mm-hmm. And like, these are the people that support us and, you know, but yeah, there's, there's countless numbers of, of stories of him at, at frat houses, getting those guys to come out to the games. And, you know, he, he would do anything, literally anything for his guys and was there and was obviously super successful. And, you know, it was, it was really cool to see that team, you know, a lot of those guys came down there for that exhibition game. And it was, it was really cool to see that bond still kind of carry over after all these years. You mentioned coach stands, a world-class recruiter. You know, I love that about, you mentioned closing, 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 and that sounds like a podcast right there but you know i go on your your social media and in your guys school website and i look at your arena your arena is unbelievable <laughs> I, I have to believe that helps in recruiting it's i mean it's like you know and this isn't a knock at, at anybody else you know but it is an amazing facility for for division two and and realistically drow it's a it's a really good facility for a, a low to mid-major you know division one program I think our, our final total was $70 million and that's a brand new weight room. We're going to launch a swimming program. I mean, our locker room is, is comparable with that of, you know, Auburn's locker room. We got film room. We got all that stuff. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, we, we've held a couple of division one scrimmages, like, you know, the closed door scrimmages at our place. And those guys are walking into our arena with phones out, recording it, right? Putting it on Snapchat, putting it on their social medias. You know, we've obviously delved into the transfer market heavy, you know, with the way the portals been and those guys coming from other division one programs are just like we didn't have any of this and i think that's it definitely makes it easier that everything is super shiny and super nice you know where you can walk into that arena and it kind of takes your breath away of, of what it is and it also helps that you know we have the following of what we have i think we were i think we were fourth or fifth the year before covid you know in attendance for p2 so we got a, a pretty good following but it is it is a special place to grow and it is gorgeous they left no no stone unturned when they uh when they designed so you mentioned Hope, Hope College in Holland, Michigan. You mentioned you played at Hope a couple years. I mean, it's obviously a tremendous Division three program, one of the best in the country. Can you describe what a great experience that was for you and how it helped shape the coach you are today? Yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable. A kind of a funny side story is that Glenn Van Weeren, who was there for what seemed like a million years, Glenn actually started recruiting me. He has a house um, on the Little Manistee River right across from where my parents had their house. And yeah. that's how Glenn and I kind of started to talk recruitment and, and all that stuff. And obviously, when I was coming out of high school in Chicago, they had just built DeVos Fieldhouse, right? And Richard DeVos is the owner of, of the Orlando Magic and the head of Amway Global and, you know, built this amazing, amazing arena. I mean, it is it is stunning, you know, and it's hard to argue with, shoot, I think they get about 3,500 for, for every game there. And it was amazing. And Holland is a great place and Hope is a great, great academic school. And I think the craziest thing, Drew, is that when I was there, Van Weeren was getting D1 transfers to come to Hope College, right? Mm-hmm. Marcus Vanderheide, who is an amazing player, transferred from uh, Iona, right? Derek Van Salkman actually played at Eastern Michigan, transfers to Hope. Tim Partridge was at College of Charleston. He transfers back to Hope. Eric Boyson was at Grand Valley State, transfers down to D3. And it was just like, it was this whirlwind of, of talent. And I mean, it was it was awesome. It was awesome. I, I think it shaped me more when I stopped playing. That was my identity, right? Like that was my identity all growing up. And, and when I was in high school, I was a basketball player. 
And when that went away, it was like, okay, well, what is my identity going to be now? And I think that really shaped, you know, more of the passion to stay in the game and, and coaching and all that stuff. But like people who say that D3, oh, well, you know, D3, D3 basketball, D3 basketball, I know tons of dudes. I mean, we were talking about Steve Kramer. Steve Kramer played overseas in Germany, top league for shoot six, seven, eight years. You know, he was a D3 All-American player of the year, like Marcus Vanderheide, six, seven, six, eight, three man for D3. I mean, there's players everywhere. There's players everywhere. And I think D3 probably gets slept on more than most just because people have a stigma that, you know, well, you're not getting a scholarship. It's like, okay, well, those D3 top, top 10 D3 teams can beat some some really really good d1 d2 basketball is basketball and those guys play and and they bust their butt just like everybody else it was an amazing place amazing arena i mean van weeren was a legend great coach matt neal was on staff thomas davlar is still there it was a great experience for me you know after college you go to hawaii you mentioned that and then you come back to holland you actually worked at a really good high school for a really good high school coach coached little au basketball then you head to lewis you mentioned scott trost great coach you know, but when I think about your journey in Indianapolis and Southern Indiana, and I've kind of known you almost from the start. I remember going to Holland High School yep. and you were an assistant there, and I've been always yep. impressed with your journey. But, you know, when I think of it, it's, it's a product of, of hard work and patience. When you reflect and think about where you're at today, what did you learn about the early part of your coaching career? I mean, it's funny because, like I said at the beginning of this, everybody's, everybody's journey is different. Right. And and I was fortunate enough when I stopped playing, I actually approached Van Weeren and Matt Neal about staying on and being a student assistant at Hope College. And Matt was like, ah, you know, we don't have a lot of space. Let me get you in touch with Steve Windemuller. And so I started coaching with Steve at Holland High. Great coach. Um, I guess that would have been probably my junior year of college is when, is when I really started that. And obviously, I think that's probably when we first really met because we had Coriante DeBerry, who was, you know, six nine and just was a raw talent. And you guys were recruiting him in Detroit. And when I first started the process, I was like, okay, right, like I'm a, I can do this, right, high school, okay, you know. But it wasn't like a set in stone thing, right? I was helping out with West Michigan Lakers a little bit, helping Steve as much as I could, still going to class. When I graduated, my plan was actually to stay in Holland and worked for my buddy. His dad owned a metal company. So I was just going to be in a factory and press metal all day. And I was going to help out with, with Steve and, and with West Michigan Lakers. And I actually got approached probably in probably in May by University of Hawaii. They had just lost their video coordinator. Gib Arnold, who was at USC, took over the job. And Benji Taylor, who knew a mutual friend of mine, Ryan, the, great, the great Ryan Marks, called me and, hey, are you interested in this? I said, sure, you know, like I'll, I'll do that. Right. I had no idea what I was doing and don't hear from, don't hear from for the entire summer. So I, I proceeded as usual. I was working in a factory, helping with the West Michigan Lakers, right. Trying to get Coriante's recruitment on point and end up getting a call, you know, back then, obviously division one, everybody started on October 15th. And I think October 15th was a Friday and Gib called me on a Tuesday right before that and said, if you want the job, you need to be in Hawaii by Friday. Wow. And talked with my parents and said, Hey, you know, what do, what do we have to lose? So I, I was in Hawaii on Saturday morning. I had no place to live. I had, I had a bag. I signed up to be a video coordinator. I, I knew nothing about cutting, <laughs> cutting tape, you know, and at that point I was so far into the first semester, really at, at Hawaii, I was supposed to be a GA video coordinator. Ended up turning that into more of a part-time hire, but you know, I think I was making 
800 bucks and I was living in, in downtown Waikiki in, in, a, in an apartment on the beach. And obviously my rent was, was a little bit more than 800 a month. So thanks mom and dad, but <laughs> it was baptism by fire. I had no idea what I was doing. The travel was insane, right? We were in the whack then. So it was everywhere from Boise state, Idaho, New Mexico state, Louisiana tech. It was crazy, you know, and it's a first year staff. So guys are trying to get their pecking order. Right. And, you know, I, I bowed out. I tapped out. I called my mom at the end. I think Hawaii had planned on participating in either the CDI or the CIT. And I was like, mom, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I was like, this isn't for me. And yeah, moved, moved back to Michigan and through all of this, right? Like Ryan Marks, you know, have known him for a very long time. My dad actually taught him in high school. So a very close family friend, Ryan has kind of always been that guy, you know, to kind of steer me kind of in the right direction. So I was, I was two years, I think it was two years back from Hawaii and I was trying to do sales jobs, right? Trying to make a living, but it killed me because every time like two o'clock rolled around, I wanted to be in the gym with the guys. I didn't want to be sitting at a desk, right? Making phone calls and stuff. And, and it, it really was a challenge for me. So I ended up calling Marks and I was like, okay, man, like, I know I told you I didn't want to coach college basketball. And now I think I do want to coach college basketball. So who can I talk to? And obviously he is great friends with Trost and he recommended that I go and interview with coach Trost for, you know, an open GA spot. I think this was 2013. And I actually ended up not getting the GA spot. He gave it to Ryan Haggerty, who was a a decent player. He's going to be mad. I call him a decent player, but a decent player was Cosmo Milwaukee. Great guy. Great player. Um, Yeah. He, but he gives it to Haggerty. Mm -hmm. And so I end up meeting with Marks. I'm like, what do I do? And Marks is like, well, is this really what you want to do? And I was like, Mark's like, this is what I want to do. This is, this is what I want to do. He's like, okay, well, you're going to volunteer. Wow. And I was like, what? He's like, you're just, you're going to go and you're going to be a full-time guy. Right. And you're not going to get paid any money, but you're going to go out every day and work regular hours. Like you were the GA. And I was like, okay. So at that time, I'm however old I am, right? 2013, I moved back into my parents' house in Chicago. And I'm commuting from downtown Chicago out to Lewis every day. And I did that for two years. In that time, I ended up, I was only, I was only getting older, right? So I just decided, I was like, okay, I'm going to pay my own way and then I'm going to get my master's. So I paid for my own way to get a master's from Ohio University. You know, along the way, obviously a, a guy that you know very well, Adam DeMong really took me under his wing at Lewis. And, you know, it was kind of this thing where it was like, okay, well, Adam, Adam's there, right? Adam's a full-time guy. Haggerty's the GA, you know, well, what can I do, right? Where can I kind of, you know, find, find my role? And it really started more of, of a video thing, you know, if it was, if it was cutting tape that, that Trost wanted or, you know, a motivational video here or there or whatever I could do and whatever Adam would give me is, is what I did. You know, and I was out there, like I said, all day, every day and, you know, just just worked and was fortunate enough when when Adam left that Coach Trost thought that I had done enough to kind of prove myself. And he hired me on and that turned into three years there and then obviously two at Indy. And, and now I'm my second year at USI. So I think I think my journey is probably a little bit different than most, you know, when it comes to that. But I think it, it really taught me, you know, the value of hard work, the value of, you know, no, no job is too small for for you. You know, and I think Coach Trost does a good job of of letting guys, you know, have a little bit of rope in the office and and find their voice on the court. But I probably wouldn't be where I am without without Ryan Marks and and DeMong really showing me how to work. Yeah, that's amazing. Kudos to the great Ryan Marks, head coach of St. Francis, and then Adam DeMong, 
you know, spectacular young man, great coach in Chicago, doing great things. You know, you guys had Max Struess. You mentioned Coach Stan, pros. You guys had Max Struess at Lewis and go on your social media site, John, and you have a lot of tweets about Max. Like, is Max one of the yeah. guys that Coach Stan coached and then Max? Like, is it's just, is it more just of just like really what you mentioned earlier that there's players everywhere? Like, how does a player like Max go to Lewis, have a great career, you know, finish at DePaul, and then, you know, be this unbelievable, productive NBA player right now? I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with who Max is, right? And and his own work ethic. And, you know, Max was Max was a scrawny, scrawny kid at, at Stag, you know, was the best player. He played for a small local AU team in the Windy City Magic, right? He didn't, he was not a big shoe team or anything. And, you know, sadly for him in his high school career, Stag was good, but they weren't, you know, they weren't setting the world on fire. So when they would play a team like Simeon, he would get triple teamed, right? So if you were a college coach and you went to that game, you know, Max might have scored like, you know, three or four points, you know, and I think it's probably more so credit to Coach Trost, right, who coached Max's older brother, Marty, of, you know, harboring that relationship and, and keeping that alive of, you know, Max had a couple D1 offers, you know, but decided to stay close. But Max was not, who Max is now, Max was in the gym all the time. Max knew that he was under-recruited. Max had that chip on his shoulder at all times. Of His first game, we played Illinois State. He was still harboring resentment when he went to their elite camp. They stuck him. He wasn't even in the main arena. They had, they had put him in the practice gym that was connected to the pool. So Max went into that game with this mindset of like, okay, right, I remember that. And he came out and he dropped 30 points on him in his first game, you know, I think he hit like seven threes and, you know, his, his legacy just, just grew, right? 52 points against Northwood on like 12 shots. I mean, he was incredible and his work ethic was second to none, you know, and I think we probably, all of us, I didn't really have much to do with Max being as good as Max is, you know, but he was so down to earth. He was so likable. He was a great leader and he was in the gym all the time. And I think that's the key to success is that, if you want to be good at anything, you got to put the time in, put the work in. But like, my gosh, like, yeah, I think Max is now at a, at a place. Obviously, I think he had like 27 the other night for the Heat. He's in the perfect culture for, for what he does and, and who he is, right? He was let go by the Celtics so they could move Taco Fall up. He goes to the Windy City Bulls. You know, he ends up tearing his ACL. He, he's not deterred by it. He busts his butt. He goes on the Heat, gets on the Summer League roster, and, he, and he's killing it. And he's killing it. And so much of it is, yeah, like, you got to bust your butt. And you got to work, you know, for just that opportunity. But when that opportunity comes, you have to, you got to take it. And yeah, it's a little bit of luck and where you're at. But I mean, it is, it's amazing to see him and his journey. But yeah, I think alluding to what you said, Dro, there's dudes that can play everywhere. You know, Max is just one of the guys that has made it to the highest level. But Jordan Lloyd's playing in Turkey. You know, he's in, he's in the Euro League. I mean, it, Kendall McCollum's playing top league. Delaney Blaylock's playing. I mean, there's good guys at every level of this game. I mean, and you know that. D3, NAI, guys can play. And I just think all those dudes that we've mentioned and kind of talked about, like, yeah, they, they come to a program and they do what they do. You know, Max left us after two years. Max helped us win a GOVC championship, then went to DePaul and dominated. I got to go to Hinkle Fieldhouse and, and sit there and watch Max play in Hinkle Fieldhouse, which is a little bit different than playing in front of 100 fans at Missouri S&T, you know, and like, that's no knock on, on anything. But I mean, Broderick Thomas played at Truman State. He was an unbelievable player. I think he's on the Celtics right now on a two-way. I mean, it's guys can hoop at every level. And I think 
the the one thing that that stays in common with all those guys is that they they bust their butt to get to the level that they want to be at. What are some attributes of a good assistant you try to bring to Coach Stan every day? Having his back for for whatever he needs, you know. And I think at at our level, especially like right when I was at Lewis, we only had one full time assistant, right? And that was that was me when Trost moved me into that role, and then we had a GA, right? And when we went to Indy, we had two full time assistants and a GA, and now we have two full time assistants. We could have gotten a GA, but we didn't hire one. So it's like we don't have all the resources of like these other places where it's like, yeah, well, this guy's doing this and this guy's doing this. I mean, on a daily basis, right? And especially after the weekend, we played back to back games. First and foremost like tomorrow is I got to figure out how we can get better and how we don't lose a game like we did last night. Right. So watching that tape, writing down things, right. Well, Hey, you know, we got to look at doing this when, when teams are doing this, or, you know, if, if, if a team is, is covering, you know, our big this way, this is our adjustment that we got to make, you know, but on top of all of that, right. It's the weekend, you know, we're going to be doing study hall. We're going to be doing class checks. It's a 24 seven thing of you name it. You know, if Stan asked for it, as simple and maybe as as mundane as you might think it would be, we we're gonna get it done. You know, and I think that's, that's the biggest thing is just trying to attack each day as as best you can, right? And like I said at the beginning, adapt adapt or die, right? And and you might think you're coming in the office on a Monday morning and you have this list of things that you want to get done, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're called into a meeting and all of that takes a backseat to the task at hand, which which needs to be completed. And I think that's that's the biggest thing. I think loyalty, you know, knowing Stan knows that when I come in the office that I'm gonna get my work done and and I'm gonna be busting my butt. You know, he knows that on Monday we're gonna give him kind of like a little update on the guys that we're recruiting. You know, who played? How did they play? Right? When was the last time we talked to him? We got a date set up for him to come visit campus. It's just kind of you. You kind of come in with with everything kind of under your umbrella, and, and maybe only two of those things need to be taken out, but you're you're prepared for for the day. And I think that's the biggest thing of of being successful coach, especially at our level. Is I think the best thing that happened to me is learning from guys like DeMong and, and Coach Trost and being given that opportunity because at the Division II level, you can wear all the hats, right? Even if you're a volunteer assistant, you can still be out on the, co- on, on the court, right, in coaching. Even though you're a volunteer assistant, if you pass your recruiting test, you can go recruit, right? So that second year that I was I was with Trost, right? I was on the road. I was recruiting Delaney Blaylock harder than anybody. I was up in Michigan more than any coach in the state of Illinois and got it done. But I, I think that's just what it is, is tackling any task that is given to you with great enthusiasm and, and pride in what you do, right? I know that right now where I am in my coaching career, right, when we win, we win as a program. But ultimately, I want to do work that reflects well on the program and on my boss. So whatever it is I'm asked to do, I'm not going to go in and, and give Stan something that I'm not proud of, right, or won't make him look good in the moment of hey, dude, right? Like we won that game and this was a preparation that we had to do. And that's why that's why we're there, right? And that's why we won that game. And it's like, you have to be so proud of everything you do because it is a reflection of not only yourself, but it's a reflection of your program. And if you can't be happy with the work that you done, that you did, then I don't think your boss will trust you to continue to give you tasks if you, if you can't get them done. You mentioned Scott Trost, you know, he allows assistants to have a voice or find a voice. And, you know, I'm sure it's part of the journey where you found your voice. You know, what's your current voice right now on the floor with your guys at Southern Indiana? I, mean, I think, you know, when, when I first got to University of Indianapolis with, with Coach G, 
he was a pressure. He was up the line. He was, you know, pressing and, and kind of playing like how he used to play, you know, when, when he played for Bruce. And I think, I think my first real, real voice with Stan was looking hard and deep at our, our defensive numbers and, and saying, Hey, man, like the game has changed. We can't be that anymore. Right. And I think I, I came to him with, with tangible statistics and numbers. And I was like, I think we need to adjust to be kind of this, this pressure packed team. Like, you know, Coach Woodley, you know, was in our league at, at Truman and, you know, went to Drake. And I think we, we made that adjustment kind of as a staff. Right. And, but you got to come with, with real tangible things so your boss can be like, oh, yeah, you know, that, that does look like a good thing. So I think first and foremost, my voice was, was from a defensive standpoint, you know, and obviously when you're, when you're transitioning to a new job, right, you got to get the players to be comfortable with you, right? They're feeling you out. You're trying to feel the players out. I think really unfortunate where when I transitioned from Lewis to Indianapolis, I had coached against a lot of those guys that were still on that team, right? And, and the same from going from Indianapolis to Southern Indiana, I had coached against those guys, you know, so I knew what their kind of game was. I wasn't going into it like totally blind, but I think I have a lot of freedom on the defensive end, you know, to coach those guys. And, you know, you got to be a little nuts to, to get guys to, to want to play defense and to buy into playing defense. And, you know, we were, I think we still are, we're leading the GOVC in, in every defensive statistical category. We were holding teams up to 59 points a game so I think it started there and then you kind of build with hey man like I do a lot of the guard work during practice right so when Jelani comes off off this screen right here he likes to get that twist so he can get back to his right hand and you know and then it kind of goes into you know in-game adjustments and, and Stan trust me with you know giving him some feedback and you know hey man I think we got to get this guy out you know he looks tired we got to do this he's, he's getting beat defensively so I think it's just kind of evolved but I think it all starts with trust and I think that goes back to the working aspect of it. If if Stan didn't trust me, if Stan didn't think I knew anything about the game, number one, he wouldn't have hired me, but he would he would give me no voice, right? Because I think when you're doing anything, whether it's a scout or you're talking on the court or or whatever, if you have any doubt in, in what you're presenting or, or how you're presenting it, I think the kids are going to pick up on that. You know, I, I think they're smarter than we probably give them credit for. So having confidence in knowing what you're presenting, right? Because you, you've watched the tape, because you've studied the film, or, or whatever have you, it lets the players know, hey, he's confident in this, right? Like, yeah, like we can follow this game plan. We can do this. So I think I think confidence is a big part of it, you know, but like when I was with Tros, it, it, it took me a little bit just because I was that kind of third guy on staff. But I think, like I said, once they trust you and, and once they know, you know, what your work is and, you know, how you go about your day to day, I think it's easier for you to find your voice as a young coach when you're proving it on a daily basis. You know, I love glancing at your social media and in, in your Twitter and so forth. And you encompass a lot of things, your family, your five-year-old, you have this wonderful son, wonderful wife, you know, everything is loyalty to coach Stan and Southern Indiana. And then there's a lot of things for young coaches. You know, you talk a lot about the passion and, you know, and motivation and things you've learned or things you like. And, you know, one of the things I was just glancing at this afternoon was like, you had a tweet that said, excellence is a process, not a destination. What's that mean to you? Yeah, I just think it's, I think us as coaches, I think we strive for excellence all the time, you know, but I don't know if it's ever right. I mean, I can go back to a, a Vince Lombardi quote, right? You know, we, we will chase perfection. We will chase it relentlessly, you know, knowing all the while we'll never attain it. But along the way, we'll catch excellence. You know, I think that's the process of I'm going to try to be perfect every day, knowing that I'm probably not going to be right. <laughs> and like, you know, excellence is a process because it's so hard to attain. You know, it's so hard to be excellent at something, you know, but you work 
but excellence also changes on a day-to-day basis, right? I want to be an excellent dad. Some days I'm not, mm-hmm. right? I want to be an excellent husband. Some days I'm not, mm-hmm. right? But I'm striving every day to try to balance the work and, and what I do at home and, and what I do at, at, at home and at the office and all that. But it's never a destination because what it's going to look like two or three years from now is going to be different, right? Like if I raise the bar up and something in my coaching career, well, I need to strive for another another pillar of excellence, right? You know, if, if one day I'm lucky enough to be a head coach, I want to be excellent. But right now, I'm just trying to be excellent in the role that I have on a daily basis. And I just think, I think I'm, I'm obsessed with, you know, and it's, it's easy for young guys to get caught up in, right? There's all the motivational stuff and there's all cliche and all this stuff. But, you know, my wife is a, is an Alabama. She swam there. So she's roll tied through and through and Nick Saban fan all the way through. And like, I mean, he's incredible. He is the peak of excellence, but he's never satisfied, right? He's never satisfied. And he's a guy who's trusting the process more than, more than anybody. I think it's, it is a process to get to where you want to be, but it's never a destination because that what you're excellent in today could totally change what you want to be an excellent in tomorrow or or three years from now or four years from now. So I think I just always want to be striving to be that person, right? To be excellent, to be an excellent father, husband, coach, mentor to a young man. You know, I think that's to me kind of what it means. And, you know, I think it's something, you know, that I strive for kind of on a daily basis. You know, you mentioned Coach Stan's relentless in recruiting. You've mentioned three or four things pretty good about you know, some of the recruiting experience that you've had and your ability to recruit. When did you start to develop your own recruiting philosophy? It was probably that second year at Lewis, you know, and, and Trost and, and Coach DeMong really gave me a lot more freedom to kind of go out, you know, and, and, and get some guys. And obviously, it really helped when we started targeting Delaney Blaylock, um, you know, with my ties to the West Michigan Lakers. And obviously, I'd seen him play, you know, a ton of times. And, and Godwin, you know, Heights during that time was a was a powerhouse, you know, and, and Delaney was unbelievable. He was unbelievable for us when we got him at Lewis. But I think, I think the biggest thing, you know, and, it, and it's probably different from every level, not a ton of kids, right? They, not a ton of kids dream to go play division two basketball, right? Like that. And that's just, it's not a knock on anybody. It's just, it's just the realistic truth, you know? So I think when you're going into this process, right, it, it's a little bit of, of luck, right? If, if Delaney would have had a, a really, really big game and, and would have blown up and, you know, would have gotten an Eastern Michigan offer, he probably would have gone to Eastern Michigan, you know? And like, that's just the game we play. But I always tell myself when I'm going in, right, to recruit a guy and I mean, shoot, we, we recruited Storm Murphy, who ended up, I think he's at Virginia Tech now. When I was at Lewis, we we were one of Terrence Shannon's only offers. He's at Texas Tech. I mean, I'm going to treat you just like you would want to be treated, right? And I'm going to court you just like you'd want to be courted by a by a high D1 D1 guy. And at the end of the day, I, I feel like I'm going to recruit you harder than those guys. And I'm going to show you the value of the relationship and, and the benefits of you coming here. You know, and I think it's just a relentless approach to how it is. When I was free that second year when I was at Lewis, I was in Michigan. I was watching Delaney. I was at his games. I was sitting, talking with his coaches, right? Waving at his mom, doing whatever I could do. I was at his game, you know, and I think that relationship and that relentlessness pays off, you know, and it's changed a little bit, right? And social media is a big part of that. Guys have handlers now and AAU programs and all that stuff. And they don't really want to talk on the phone that much anymore. They want to text and, (laughs) you know, but I just think that that relentless approach to this is, this is a good thing, not overbearing and not pushy, you know, and I think, I think too often guys get caught up in that where it's like, oh, well, this kid, this kid didn't come here. Right. So I'm not, I'm not going to have a relationship with him. And it's like, to me, like that just seems, it seems like the kid made a good decision. Right. Because like, if you've built this really valuable relationship with a kid where he will call you and be like, coach, 
you know, I love you, but, you know, I'm going to go a different different direction. Well, who am I to say that it's the most important decision of his young life, right? Like, who am I to sit here as a basketball coach who really doesn't know a whole lot and be like, oh, you've just made the worst decision of your life? No. If I'm building and harboring, like, genuine relationships with kids, then when they make that call to tell me that, hey, I'm going to University of Akron. Hey, man, that's awesome. That's great, right? That's that's amazing. And if you ever need anything, like, please call me. I'm going to be following you. I'm going to be watching your games, right? Like, let me know if there's anything I can do to you. I, I shared with you today, Dro, that I, I was driving to St. Louis to watch Justin Hardy play at Wash U. Justin Hardy was diagnosed in, shoot, I think June or July with stage four stomach cancer. I recruited Justin Hardy when I was at Lewis. He went to St. Charles East and just a kid that I've always kind of stayed in contact with and just talked to. And, you know, he's he's shared with me of, of the struggles that he's going through and everything with his family. He scored 28 points tonight. He hasn't eaten food in two weeks. I mean, it's incredible. But to see the smile on his face when I talked to him after the game, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. I, I never even got to coach the kid, right? But those are the relationships that I try to build in recruiting, you know, wherever I'm at. I want a kid and his family to know that I'm going to look after him for not just his four years while he's here. If that kid needs something from me down the line, whenever it is, I, I got your back. And I think that's that's what it's supposed to be about more than more than anything. So I always end the podcast. What are some simple tips for young coaches? I think be loyal, right? Be grounded. I think I've probably done a, a poor job through my coaching career of I'm not the most networking guy that I'm out there. You know, I've been fortunate enough with, with Marks and DeMong and I've gotten to know Coach Weitzel, right? Jim Weitzel through Trost. Trost has helped me out a lot. Kevin Carroll, who's now at Lipscomb. You got to network. You got to do this. But at the end of the day, I think too many young coaches today are caught up and they see, right? They see a, a assistant at Auburn makes $350,000. Right. Oh, man. Yeah, I want to get into coaching. Well, as you and I both know, Dro, that isn't realistic of how you start your coaching career. Right. And you have to be ready and willing to drop and sacrifice everything you can for an opportunity. And I think if you want to do this, you'll do that. Just like when I got that call and I was on a plane going to Hawaii, you have to be willing to sacrifice everything you have if you want to get your foot in the door in this business, you know, because if you don't have one of those great playing pedigrees or or one of those guys that, you know, can call and, and get you kind of in the door, you're going to have to work, you know. So I think loyalty, I think hard work, you know, and, and being present in where you are. I, I think I've always wanted to, yeah, I want to move up and I want to be successful and stuff, but I never, especially like during the season, I've, I've interviewed, interviewed for three or four head head D2 jobs and I always tell them I want to wait till after the season because I want to focus because I don't think it's fair to the guys, right? If, if my head is somewhere else and I'm thinking I'm out of here, right, I don't think I can give the guys my all in, in the office. So I think, I think being present, working hard and being loyal to the guy that's giving you a chance. I think those are, those are three things that, that can really help you along the way. John, I love your story. Your passion to want to coach is truly inspiring. You had to be a coach and I'm so happy that coach Marks encouraged you to be a coach. You are indeed a coach, my friend, and you're a really good coach. Yeah, I appreciate that, Drew. Your loyalty to Stan is off the charts. And I know he's, and I, I don't, I've never met coach Stan, but I already know that he's thankful for your loyalty and passion. I just I, want to thank you for sharing your story today. And thank you for helping so many young coaches today. I appreciate it, Drew. And I appreciate this podcast, man. Like I've, I've told you from the beginning, man, I'm an avid listener. And, you know, I feel like when I listen to these guys tell their stories and, and share what they've done, I feel like I'm growing as a coach. So extremely honored, you know, to be on this with, with some other great coaches and just really appreciative of you giving me this opportunity. 
That was a great conversation with Coach John Spruance. I love talking to young coaches. I can't explain how excited I get to talk to them, and I love helping young coaches. As a former Division I men's assistant coach, I thought I was on top of the coaching food chain. Doing these podcasts and having the opportunity to coach women's basketball this season, on the contrary, I was simply an arrogant fool. Coaches can coach, no matter what level, what gender. And Coach John, you can really coach, my friend. John's story is inspiring. Multiple times he could have chosen another career, but he had to coach. I love his quest to want to be a coach. And Coach Ryan Marks, you are indeed a great mentor. Much love and respect to you, my friend. Thank you, Coach John Spruins, for sharing your story. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform that you are currently listening. And we are everywhere. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram, at Tell Me Your Story Coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter, at Coach Kevin Dro. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondro. Stay safe. I can't say this enough. Be you. Keep coaching and see you on the next episode of the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast.